Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there. Prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he has told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank out of it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, by your light we see light, and so we ask by the work of the Holy Spirit that you would uh, so illumine our hearts and minds towards your word that we might not only uh, be hearers of it, but Lord, that we would be doers as well. Lord, all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you may all be seated at this time. <clears throat> I, I guess it is the last, or uh, I, I guess I don't know when summer officially ends, but it feels like the last one in August is uh, officially one of the last official weekends of the summer. I noticed uh, many of the college students at River Wards had, had returned, so it kind of marks the start of the fall, and, and I saw them, and I thought back to my own time getting dropped off in college um, back in 2009, and I didn't think I was going to miss my family. I couldn't wait to get away from them. And then after a couple days, I just kept calling them. <laughs> I was bored. I, didn't, I got lonely. I, I got way more lonelier than I actually thought going to a new place, a new state, living all by myself. Uh, it was a very lonely experience for the first couple of weeks that I did not uh, expect. And oftentimes, stuff like that catches us off guard. Um, planning a trip, 
Maybe it's a long road trip, and we don't recognize that, man, I'm doing this alone. It's, it's kind of lonely. It's, it's kind of awkward. There's only so much I can be left alone to my thoughts before I get incredibly bored. And so I think we all experience this in one level or another. It is more oftentimes encouraging to do something difficult or along or go on a long journey when you have the presence of a friend a loved one, or a family member as you face this challenge. Many of you I see are are parents in this room. I'm sure all of your children are very appreciative of you as you come and support their uh, baseball games, soccer games, and their music recitals, offering that encouraging presence on the sidelines, getting ready to offer your support and uh, kind words when they might get discouraged. Uh, sadder examples of this might be the presence of a loved one when you're visiting someone who is sick in the hospital. Uh, presence of loved ones can of- oftentimes be comforting in times of difficulty. And I think the same holds true as we grow in our Christian faith, as we mature as believers and we continue to exist in this broken world. As we see... Uh, blatant opposition to the gospel and to the way that we uh, choose to live and worship our God, where is it that we seek comfort and encouragement? Sometimes it does feel lonely, even though we meet for church every week. Our week-to-weeks can often feel alone as strangers in a land that Scripture makes clear does not belong to us. It's my hope that through our time in Mark 14, we're going to see that Uh, God, out of his great love for us, actually strengthens us and carries along through this world as we enter in this close, personal, and intimate relationship with him through faith. And so that's my hope this morning, that as we leave this morning, we will feel greatly encouraged knowing that we have the very presence of Christ with us as Christians, as we step out these doors, and as we face whatever the week has for us this week. And so as we look at our sermon text, we uh, jumping a few chapters from where we left off last week in Mark 12, we see that uh, following Judas approaching the chief priest to put uh, the plans in motion to betray Jesus, our text this morning tells us that it was the first day of unleavened bread, Uh, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. And to understand uh, this context of this uh, Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and it's the concluding Passover meal, we need to think back about uh, 1,400 years ago from where uh, Mark finds himself, Mark and the disciples, and actually go back to the Old Testament and look at the book of Exodus. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, during this Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover meal, Uh, God's people would uh, celebrate this meal and commemorate this time uh, looking to that great exodus event when God delivered all of Israel from Egypt, from Pharaoh, from the house of bondage and slavery. And uh, when you think back on the history of God's people, you remember that uh, the early days of God's people in Egypt, they, you know, they weren't so bad, right? Uh, Joseph gained Uh, A good amount of respect, some popularity, was promoted to high political standing, and yet 
Uh, Exodus 1 tells us that uh, there arose a new king over Egypt, the one who did not know Joseph. And this new pharaoh, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't care much for these Israelites, right? He thought they were just a bit much. There were too many of them growing, uh, you know, outnumbering the Egyptians. And so he decided to make their lives bitter and miserable by putting them to work, hard work and slavery. And if we remember God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel's situation in Egypt is the exact opposite of what you normally would have expected when you first hear that promise that God gives to Abraham in Genesis 12 and reiterated Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. Here are God's people living in a foreign land as slaves amongst the people who served foreign gods, not like the people that God had promised to Abraham, a great nation that would be the means of blessing to the nations and the world. So if you know, uh, the book of Exodus goes, uh, God sends Moses to deliver his people from Pharaoh, and they have a back and forth, let my people go. Moses, uh, Pharaoh says, I'm going to make people work harder. He continues to respond poorly. God sends a plague, and after a while, after the worst plague of the death of the firstborn, to prevent that plague from happening to God's people, God instructed his people that they were to put a mark on the post of their home, a mark that would symbolize that death had already taken place in this household. It was the blood of the sacrificed lamb that symbolized death's already happened here, judgment, feel free to move on next door and the one of the most spectacular displays of redemption for god's people we see uh death actually swallowing up all the firstborn you did not have that uh, blood of the lamb on their doorpost and moses splits the red seeds and the and the seas swallow up pharaoh and his armies and from then on the israelites were called to celebrate this feast of unleavened bread to celebrate god's faithfulness to them of delivering them from Egypt. And this is where we find ourselves. Mark 14. First day of the unleavened bread where this Passover lamb is sacrificed. And as Jesus' disciples, they prepare uh, where they should have this meal. In verse 13, Jesus gives them some, some very detailed instructions, right? It's not like just go two blocks down, second door on your right, that's where it's going to be. It's very specific, right? It says, you're going to find this man, you're going to find him carrying a jar of water, he's going to meet you there, you're going to ask him, where is the guest room where uh, the teacher will eat the Passover with his disciples, the man will show you the room, and that's where we'll have this meal. Uh, it, it seems like quite a bit of a long quest, an unnecessary journey for uh, such a short gospel in the gospel of Mark, the shortest of the gospels, right? Why waste all this time writing this weird uh, plan? But Jesus does this very intentionally to actually show that everything that's happening, it's under his control. Nothing that is going to happen was by accident. In those days, it would have been very uncommon to see uh, a man in the street carrying a jar of water as a woman actually in those days carried out this responsibility. So uh, it would seem very unlikely for these disciples to successfully take to the streets, find this man, 
uh, read him this prepared script that Jesus has written out for them and that this man would have the exact room right where his disciples would celebrate the feast of the unleavened bread and the Passover. And yet, here we find, verse 16, everything works out. Everything works out just in the way that Jesus describes. Mark, as he is recording these events, is showing us that Jesus has unique control over everything that's happening. If you weren't sure that Jesus was the God-man, right, someone who is perfectly human, but also 100% God, that he is in control of all things, just in case you looked ahead and you saw that Judas would betray him and how, how Jesus would die at the hands of his own people on the cross, Mark wanted to remind you that none of that was an accident. None of that was outside of his control. The significance of that becomes clear as we continue on to what, what seems to be a, a confusing Passover meal, right? Let's, let's go into it. Um, if you look at this meal, uh, if you're not familiar with the Passover meal, it might be difficult to catch why it's 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 different looking meal. I grew up in uh, in New York City, and many of my friends were Jewish. I grew up with a lot of Jewish friends. Uh, we you know leave elementary school, we walk to the bus, and they would go uh, to what they call Jewish school, where they would learn Hebrew, and uh, they would celebrate all kinds of different uh, holidays, including the Passover. And I would also know. Whenever, every time we had, they had a Passover meal, not because I was Jewish or I had a Jewish calendar, but the days leading up to the Passover, I would hear all my friends complain, oh no, here comes the Passover meal. I, I can't believe it's happening again. Oh, how we hate this meal. As an eight-year-old, you know, it's, what's so wrong about this Passover meal? And they say, oh, Victor, you don't understand. This dinner is so long. <laughs> we, we don't even eat right away. We have to talk about every ingredient, every drink, the bitter herbs, the vegetables. Right? We have to talk about every little thing before we can even eat. And that's why we hate this meal. And this meal, it's a beautiful thing, but it is a long meal. If they're following how they should be before you eat, right? Every element of the meal is discussed, right? What does this mean? Why, why is this herb so bitter? Ah, uh, it's to remind us of how bitter slavery was that our forefathers endured in Egypt, right? And so on and so on and so on. They would go through this dinner in excruciating detail. And so we'd expect in Mark 14, we jump here, right? They've... Uh, what well, seems to be a great spread, right, for a dinner, and expect them to now inspect each element of the meal. What do the bitter herbs mean? What does this unleavened bread mean? But you see in verse 18, as they're reclining at the table, what does Jesus say? Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Huh? Right? <laughs> That's, that's not Passover talk, right? Or, or are we going to talk about the Exodus, uh, the lamb, right? What's going on here, Jesus? Why are, you, why are we talking about betrayal for, right? It's like you, you go Thanksgiving meal, you know, everyone sits down, 
table looks great, turkey's looking at you, waiting to be carved, and then your aunt says, before we start, I just want to let you know that one of you is probably going to break my dishes today and starts crying. <laughs> it's like, we haven't even started eating yet. Well, well, what's with all this doom and gloom, right? Your grandmother, before starts eating, says, one of you is going to break my heart today. It's like, can we at least get through the appetizers before we get on while all this betrayal, all this sadness? What's going on here, Jesus? By foretelling of his betrayal, Jesus is actually giving his disciples further meaning to this, uh, this Passover meal. Notice in verse 12, it's the only instance where we see a mention of a Passover lamb. And even in verse 12, it just appears as a description just to help set the scene. But as Jesus is looking ahead, recognizing that Judas will betray him, he will eventually die on the cross. What does he do here? He sits down with his disciples to show them that for this Passover meal, he would be the lamb. Through his death, Jesus would be the one to fulfill all that the Passover had looked forward to from that time in Egypt, from that first meal. Because just as the lamb served as a sacrifice that would provide that blood for the mark that would allow judgment to pass by the Israelites' door, to pass by God's fury and judgment as it visited Egypt, Jesus' blood is the mark that we would all need by faith to repair that relationship with God in order that death would pass us by, that our sin would be forgiven. Our many sins against God that we looked at last week and the true gravity of what that entails. And as Jesus is celebrating this meal, as they're celebrating how God had rescued them from slavery, this meal in Mark 14, it also showed a beautiful illustration of what was to come time when God would come once again, once for all, to redeem his people from sin, death, and everything that is wrong with this world, and bring them into his kingdom. Because every year, this fellowship meal, this, this Passover meal, was not simply meant to just look back on God's faithfulness, but it was also a time to look ahead eagerly, saying, Lord, when are you going to come again? When are you going to come and save your people once and for all? And here is Jesus. The night of the Passover lamb was normally to be sacrificed, telling his disciples that you're sitting here with the lamb himself. The one from whom everyone looked forward to from the time of the garden, eagerly waiting day after day. Because just as this meal represent and illustrated God's faithfulness to Israel in the past. What Christ now does with this meal would now serve as a reminder for us to look back to as we look ahead to when Christ comes again. In Exodus, the Israelites found themselves in 
just the worst situation imaginable. Unable to free themselves from slavery and from their oppressors. God needed to rescue them. God needed to intervene. He needed to send a mediator to deliver his people through a triumphant victory over Egypt. And Exodus in this way is a great mirror for our own lives and our own desperate need for a savior. Sinners who are lost in our own sins and slaves to it with no hope of rescuing ourselves. Just as God rescued his people from Egypt, sending Moses. God has rescued us not by sending another mediator like Moses, but sending his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man himself, fully divine, fully human, who would secure victory over sin and death as the sacrifice lamb for us. Because we all need a savior. The disciples here were aware that they needed a Savior. They were disciples spending every day with Jesus himself. And look at how they respond in verse 19. After Jesus tells them that one of them would betray him, they began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? Because if it was me (laughs) sitting there, And Jesus paused the meal to say to us, one of you will betray me. One of you who is eating with me right here at this table, dipping bread into the dish with me. Because if it was me, I would say, well, which dish are we talking about, Jesus? (laughs) Did you dip your bread in all the dishes? I think you missed that dish. That's the only one I dipped my bread into. So so I think I'm I'm okay, Jesus. It must be... One of the other 11. You know, maybe the disciples did have thoughts like this, but what does Mark highlight for us as he writes that as the disciples hear that one of them would betray him, each one of them, they took a deep, hard look at themselves, and one by one, they came to the conclusion that, yes, could be me. It could be me. I am very much capable of betraying my Lord and Savior, the Son of God, Jesus. And they began to become sorrowful. Here we see the disciples struggling in deep anguish because each one of them became acutely aware of just how sinful each one of them could be. And now we see Jesus taking ownership over this meal. And showing them that he's the significance. He's identifying himself as the way, the only way. That despite our many sins, despite the extent of our sins and how sinful we can be. Jesus is the only hope for salvation and for the life to come. He continues to expand on this great meaning in verses 22. They were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and said to them, Take, this is my body. He took a cup when he given thanks. They all drank of it, and he said to them, This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. As he says these things, take my body. What is he saying? 
He knows he's going to die, but as he says, take, this is my body, the promise is that I am going to be with you long after I am physically gone from this world. This table, this meal, every time you take of it, it's a promise that Jesus will be there with us at that table. And so for us this morning too, we don't participate in the Lord's Supper as just some kind of memorial service where we think about, yeah, Jesus did that for me. We don't just remember him by taking the bread, but we come to the table every Sunday. Like we looked at last week, with a heart heavy of our sins, but also with much celebration, recognizing that Christ, our Savior, is with us. His spiritual presence goes with us. Jesus is present by the power of the Holy Spirit, and when we come to this table, despite our many broken pieces that we bring, our brokenness, we find comfort in being reminded that Christ says to us, I am with you. So we don't just remember him, but the promise is that Christ's very real presence goes with us. As he uses this language, the blood of the covenant, Jesus brings to view Exodus 24, after God saves Israel from Egypt, when Moses throws the blood of the sacrifice on the people, kind of gross thing, right? But it's to symbolize the confirmation of God's relationship with his people. And he has committed himself to his people, to us. And as we drink in, in the cup with him, we remember that Christ has committed himself to us by entering in this covenant with us established by Christ's own blood, a mark that we bear every single day, not just on our doorposts, but in our hearts. Every day we bear that mark by faith. And in those days, drinking a cup with someone really indicated full identification, full union of the cup you shared, of the person who you shared that cup with. And in the same way, as we share in a cup week to week, every Sunday, we also say, I am yours, Jesus, and you are mine. And that's such a beautiful thing that our Savior has committed himself to us. And that's something I need to hear every week. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it is something I need to hear every single week and be reminded of it every time I take part in that meal. It's hard when we try to keep track of all the bad things happening in this world and we see the wicked flourish. And we see loved ones fall sick, sometimes die. When we just don't have answers to hard questions. When we just take a good look at all the sins in your own life. And our inability to keep ourselves clean every single day. We need to be reminded every day that Jesus is with us. And that presence will never depart from us because of Jesus' blood that he has shed for us. Like the disciples, for all of us, looking down 
deep down in our hearts, I think we can all agree with them, with how sinful we can be, and how lonely sometimes it feels like we're going through this world, this broken world, in a world that doesn't work as it should be. And yet as we come to the table, as we will do today, I think, <laughs> and as we share in this meal with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we think back on just the church that has been sharing in this meal from generation, from generation, from that time, from Exodus all the way to Mark 14, all the way till this morning, we also remember that we come into the very presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that assures us that he is with us. And he goes before us every single day. No matter what it is that you're enduring, no matter the unseasonably dark time you may be experiencing, as we eat and as we drink, Let's remember how Jesus concludes his thoughts in verse 25. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I want to conclude right there as well, because not only do we have Jesus' promise of his presence here at that table, that promise is also a guarantee of what's to come, of when he will come. That he will come. And as we come and as we share side by side in our struggles, and as we celebrate together, we not only remember God's faithfulness to us, but we also eagerly look ahead to that last day when Jesus comes again to make all things new again, and we can see him face to face and share in that meal with him. I can't wait. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I can't wait. And until that day comes, we have this meal to remember and to look forward to. Praise be to God. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.